0: And welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Russell Slade to my Mark Robbins. It's Justin Peach.
1: Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how the devil are you? I'm brilliant. I'm good. It's, it's, been a, it's been a good couple of days of the playoffs. Can't really complain. We've had plenty of drama. I also saw the Bristol City training ground yesterday and it's in a lovely part of the world. So that was a nice bit of insight. But yeah, really good. Thank you. How are you, Ryan? Did you get shown around it? No, I, I drove past it. Oh. It's it's a really nice part of the UK, but my God, there is no signal. How do they get anything done?
0: Yeah, well, it's good to know what it's like at the Bristol City training ground. I mean, I was completely focused on the playoffs. I mean, that was just an exhilarating thrill ride in both games. but By no means the most dramatic playoff games. Let's make that perfectly clear. But in terms of the tension and how much it meant to both sets of players... All the fans involved, it was just amazing as ever so mm. let's have a little chat about it shall we welcome to the number one championship podcast the second tier thank you for joining us wherever you are yes we're going to be talking about both of the second legs in the championship playoff semi-finals talk about both of them talk about what it means for the team to have missed out on the playoffs what their seasons look like heading into next season we'll also talk about plenty of news from the past few days <laughs> once again despite there being no football there has been <laughs> plenty of news cracking off once again so we'll talk talk about all of that and then we'll finish off with Diddy Odinti right at the end so Coventry City are going to Wembley it's after they beat Middlesbrough in the playoff semi-finals Gustavo Hamer scoring the only goal over the two legs and you've got to say
1: over the two legs Coventry City deserved it without, without doubt really they have been so brilliant defensively and they have shut out those those key Middlesbrough strengths and then just didn't allow Borough to get into their stride at all. And I think that was the key thing over the course of these games is not allowing that team's strengths to to really come to the fore. And Coventry managed it brilliantly. They were so structured defensively. I was just in awe of that second leg in particular, especially the second half where Coventry seemed to get stronger. They seemed to grow in confidence. They seemed to commit a couple of more players forward with each counter-attack. It really was... A tactical battle with Mark Robbins coming you know out in first place with it because again they played with bravery because they played very deep they allowed Middlesbrough to come into their half but they knew when to attack they knew when to commit players forward it was brilliant game planning it was almost it, it was 90 perfection it, to perfection it was brilliant. Yeah, Middlesbrough had most
0: of the possession, but Coventry, without a doubt, had the better chances. I thought Middlesbrough were quite sloppy in possession, and despite dominating the ball, barely forced Ben Wilson to make a save. I think he had one to make in the whole game.
1: Mm.
0: And that's incredible that that is the case with this Middlesbrough side, who have been so brilliant going forwards since Michael Carrick came in. Look, I fully expected Middlesbrough to get through. In this semi-final, I thought the scores being level and Borough being at home, I didn't give Coventry much of a chance of getting through. But Middlesbrough were just completely shut down by Coventry's defence. I think it was probably the best counter-attacking performance I've seen all season from a side. Each Coventry defender was unbelievable. Luke McNally, Cal McFadzin, Callum Doyle can one of them please return Cameron Archer and Tuba Akpom to Middlesbrough once they remembered to get them out of their back pockets. But then every time there was a counter-attack in the second half, it was so threatening. It just one big ball to Victor Jokerez and they were away, automatically mm-hmm. creating anything more substantial than Middlesbrough created in the entirety of that second half. It was just a Mark Robbins masterclass. And I think quite often... I think in just in general, you can just point the fingers at him for getting this over the line, this result. The goal was a fantastic finish from Gustavo Hamer, but it all came from a great ball by Ben Sheaf. That really caused the panic in the Middlesbrough defence. Still a lot of work for Hamer to do, so fair play to him with that finish. We'll talk more about Coventry shortly, but we've been saying for weeks now that the standards have undoubtedly dropped at Middlesbrough ever since the last international break for whatever reason, and... It was more of that, Middlesbrough, that we saw here. Two wins from 10. That form put doubts into our minds about whether Borough could win the playoffs. And here we are. They didn't even score a goal in the playoffs, Justin. We will talk more about what they're looking like heading into next season. But this form
1: has, without a doubt, been a massive concern. And here we are. Exactly, exactly. I think muscle memory is so important going into the playoffs. So having that form, having, um, having that sustained consistency throughout, games going into the, yeah, into the playoffs is, is so important and Middlesbrough just lost it. I think going into the game this game, I expected Middlesbrough to to show up to, to really dominate the game and really take the game to Coventry but they didn't. They allowed Coventry to execute their game plan to perfection and that might be down to a number of things. It might be down to Carrick only being manager for Middlesbrough since November for example, that's a key thing. Mark Robbins has been at Coventry for a lot longer. It also might be down to the fact that He's had players with injuries coming into uh, coming into the end of the season, and as well as that, that form's not not helped either. So there are a lot of factors there working against Michael Carrick, and I just think he was outdone, or Middlesbrough were outdone by such a well-disciplined team that it, it surprised me how how sustained Coventry were at being defensive and how how Middlesbrough did not have any answers to any of the questions that Coventry posed. But there was just too many players who had off games. If you look at Chibrapakpom, uh, for example. He looked off it all night. He looked frustrated. I think every every decision that went against him, he was getting up and he was he was he was moaning. He was he was frustrated. Um, you know, berating the the officials. You need to be calm in these situations. Coventry were calm. It didn't feel like Middlesbrough were, and it just felt like it's probably a, you know a campaign too soon for them under Michael Carrick. But there are still solid foundations there to to build on for next season. I would hit. I would make them. You know. Yeah, this is a game where they, they learn from. This is a game that they learn from and they take into next season. Well, injuries certainly
0: haven't helped with their dropping form, have they? I don't think they're completely to blame. Though. I'm not really sure why this drop-off has happened, to be honest. In the league, they conceded 14 goals in their final eight games. But they were fairly defensively solid in the two playoff games. It was more the opposite. They just struggled to cause too many problems for Ben Wilson in the Coventry goal. The only save I can really remember him making is in the first leg when... He saved it and then it went on to the bar after a chance for Tuba Whatever the case, it's without a doubt a very disappointing end to the season for Middlesbrough. We'll talk more about what missing out on promotion means for them in the second half of the show. But Coventry City, one game away from the Premier League. wow. What a story. After everything they've been through over the years with playing their home games outside of Coventry, dropping down to League Two, match postponements because of a crap pitch. Sisu! There's been one constant amongst all of that, and that's been Mark Robbins. Despite all the shit that's been thrown at him, it's incredible that he and
1: Coventry City are now at this point. You almost need... More shit to be thrown at him for Coventry to be even more successful. That's what the the common denominator is here. It's it's incredible, really, for him to be able to deflect those issues and, and really get the best out of the teams that he's had over the years. I can't I can't think of a team who has had it as rough as Coventry have consistently. Every season has been a problem, consistently, um, and have come out the other side in a much better position. It is remarkable that they've managed to recover and go again and again and again. Even just thinking about this season, having to sell Dom Higham to effectively fund the pitch, having the issues with the stadium, potential closer. They could have been playing at the best Scott in Walsall, the Walsall Stadium. They could have been playing at the best Scott. Imagine that being a Premier League ground next season, for example, because they didn't have a home. It'd be absolutely bonkers. Um, so yeah, just, just for Mark Robbins to be able to deal with those, those issues... Because they do affect the players, and when you, you, I mean, he said it in his post-match interview. The players were asking questions about when they're going to play again. They couldn't get their game legs; they couldn't find their game legs, which is why, you know, many thought, and even Mont Robbins thought that they were going to struggle this season. But they've come out the other side of it, and they've been absolutely fantastic. They've been consistent. They've been defensively solid. They're so structured, and they've not even had Callum hair for eight eight tenths of the season. It's remarkable, really, that he's managed to achieve this with bare bones, and even bare bones than that, and with the issues that he's been dealing with. It's, I've got nothing but praise for the man. Yeah, it's amazing. People, I'm sure, will point out that I express shock about Robbins being
0: nominated for manager of the year. That's only because Coventry were ninth or 10th around the time those nominations were announced, getting this team into the top six. That recognition is fully deserved, and now the playoff final, even more so. If there was a manager of the past five years award, Mark Robbins would clean house with it, wouldn't he? I don't think anyone particularly comes close. I mean, Pep Guardiola maybe, but you know, look at the size of budgets <laughs> compared to Man City and Coventry. Um, they're similar to Luton, really. They've just continuously improved season upon season, and now it's cumulated into this point. It continues to be an amazing job he's doing. Whatever happens in the final. It will just be yet another milestone in this incredible journey Coventry fans are having under Mark Robbins, which I don't think is going to be stopping anytime soon. I don't really know what the ceiling is on this journey at this point. Also, it's got to be said if any group of supporters deserve the chance to get to the Premier League, it's Coventry supporters. The turmoil from the past few years, especially having to go to games outside of Coventry in multiple seasons, they've really been through the ringer. But they deserve this opportunity for sticking by their club through thick and thin. Let's talk about Coventry's opponents in the final. That will be Luton Town. It's after they beat Sunderland 2-0 in the second leg of the semi-finals. 3-2 on aggregate. Luton were excellent here, Justin.
1: Two There's two games in these playoffs that were t- so tactically brilliantly you know, played that both teams prospered because their game plans were so on the point. and And it was the same with Luton here. Luton's intensity was fantastic. And yes, they dominated the game and they got in the face of Sunderland and made it really difficult. But as the game wore on, they made it scrappy. They made it difficult for Sunderland's you know, flare players, dribblers to get into the game. And when a dribbler is out of the game for so long, it's very hard to get to get into it. The likes of Jack Clark, Diallo, they were they were frustrated figures throughout that game. And again, it was just another tactically brilliant performance from Luton fairly similar to their game plan at the stadium of light but it was executed much more efficiently and prolonged in, in this game and it was just a fantastic performance and they made their they made their height count that was the key thing Is was good deliveries and getting on the end of them and then the rest of it was playing the percentages they're, they're so they're able to mix up their game plan brilliantly under Rob Edwards, you know, they they are a good footballing side under him, but they were very direct, they were very aggressive in this game. That's what they needed to do to win. They won, now they're in the final. Fantastic achievement.
0: Yeah, they just, as you say, executed the game plan perfectly, didn't they? It felt like they were in control throughout. Luton had so many shots cleared off the line. It seemed to happen every time they went forward. Uh, Every time they crossed the ball in as well, it felt like there was a decent chance that it would end up in a goal. They were just better than Sunderland in every way, and I don't think Sunderland really turned up to be honest. Attacking players kept very quiet. Only three teams have scored more goals than Sunderland in the Championship this season. Luton limited them to just one shot on target. It was just a very complete performance, and it was quite predictable in a way how the goals would be scored. Much has been made of Sunderland's height difficulties in their back line. The tallest player there was Trey Hume, who's a gargantuan five foot nine. The warning signs were there in that first leg, weren't they? That Luton could exploit that, and they did that. And how in the second leg? I love the drama at the end with that Cody Drame miss. Last minute of the game, Sunderland keeper Anthony Patterson's gone up for a corner. Ball gets cleared up the pitch, and it's three Luton attackers against one Sunderland defender, with Patterson nowhere in sight. Drame has the ball about 40 yards out, hits this incredibly feeble shot, could have squared it, or he could have just kept running, but in the end did that. It was one of those moments where I genuinely reckon I could have done better in that situation. It doesn't <laughs> happen too many times on a football pitch, but I definitely wouldn't have done that. Are you happy with Luton in the final, Justin? I-, I want to see the best teams in the final, and Luton finishing third, definitely the better team over at the two
1: legs. That's what we want to see, isn't it? Yeah, without doubt, you've got two teams there in Luton and Coventry who are two two tactically brilliant teams. They're, they're going to try and execute their game plans to to perfection. Um, I, I mean, with a Sunderland Middlesbrough final, you've got two teams there who are two attacking sides who are going to try and go at each other. It's going to make for an entertaining final that to Luton and Coventry. As I say, two tactical two tactical teams, and they've got strengths. They're going to, they're going to try and exploit them. But it's going to be a chess game. It's going to be a tactical battle. Um, but Luton and Coventry deserve their their place in the final. Luton, they bit through the ring as well. We all know that, and they've slowly risen through the leagues. And you know, there's going to be a lot of teams backing them. But whoever wins, it's it's going to be it's going to be fantastic because we've got a team, we've got two teams here who haven't benefited from parachute payments. They're two incredibly well-run clubs with two gifted managers with 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 very pragmatic uh, styles when it comes to recruitment as well. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a good final. It's going to be a chess match and it's it's going to be uh, an interesting one.
0: Yeah, we'll talk more about the actual playoff final in our preview episodes coming up in the next week. It cannot be said enough though how special a story this is for Luton, Ty- Luton Town. This time 10 years ago, they just finished seventh in the conference, missing out on the playoffs despite a 3-1 win over Southport on the final day. To be in this position a decade later, one game away from the Premier League, I'm not sure we'll ever see a rise like this so quickly ever again. Maybe Ryan Reynolds at Wrexham may have something to say about that, but we'll see. Um, But also, this season in general is quite miraculous. One of the lowest budgets in the league, as we know. Losing your long-serving manager midway through the season. They were 10th when Rob Edwards came in third place, a playoff final. Astonishing, really. And you cannot praise the job Rob Edwards has done enough. I don't think it gets recognised enough because he's turned up at Luton halfway through the season. But as I say, taking them from 10th to being the best team in the division outside of the you know, teams who have actually got promoted. Astounding really. Um it's also got to be said how funny it is that Rob Edwards has made it to the playoff final, sacked after just eleven games at Watford, now on their fourth manager in the space of a year, while he's a game away from being a Premier League manager. And Watford fans must have been watching the game on Tuesday night, be wondering what could have been and <laughs> I mean, Watford fans will think that we're picking on them, but we're just saying what Watford fans are saying, aren't we? The club's a mess because of the owners, the Pozzo's impatience is the reason why. They've lost a talented manager who could very well be taking their biggest rivals to the Premier League. Is it funny? It absolutely bloody is. It's bloody hilarious from an outsider perspective. As a Watford fan, I think you've just got to take it on the chin, haven't you, and ask who's to blame for it all? this. Obviously, the owners. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. We'll talk more about Sunderland after the break and what missing out on promotion means for them. Luton and Fancy have got two episodes to look forward to over the next week. Where we'll be previewing the playoff final from a fan perspective and an expert perspective. Final points on this game. Luton say a a lengthy ban will be immediately issued to a fan who appeared to punch Sunderland or Ahmad Diallo in the back. Luton say the incident is now also subject to a police investigation and any such supporter behaviour is not acceptable in any way. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about the teams who have missed out on the playoffs and what next season is looking like for them. Welcome back to the second tier podcast. So Let's have a chat about the teams who have missed out on promotion then just in both in the North and we'll begin with Sunderland who might be about to give everyone a little bit of a shock. According to TalkSport, Tony Mowbray could be on his way out. He's said to be fighting for his job and some of the contenders to replace him are said to include Francisco Farrieri, who seems to be getting linked with every championship job, former Barnsley boss Gerhard Struber. Nice to hear him mentioned again. He's been pictured at Sunderland Games this season. And incredibly, Red Bull Salzburg boss Matthias Geisler. Now, this wasn't a huge surprise for me. We had mysterious reports a few weeks ago from uh, Fabrizio Romano, you may remember, Justin, who said that Mowbray could be replaced this summer. Seemed to come out of nowhere, but maybe there is some truth to this after all. Whatever the case, Justin, if Mowbray were to get sacked it would be undeniably very harsh, wouldn't it?
1: Without doubt, yeah, it would be harsh. Mowbray's done a fantastic job this season, in difficult circumstances. The amount of injuries he's had to contend with. I know once upon a time, his had he underachieved, but perhaps I was being too too harsh on him. and I, you know, I, and certainly, I certainly was, actually. He, it would be unfair to sack him because of where he's brought this team. You know, Alex Neal, he left after, was it three or four games? It wasn't very far into the season and Mowbray's come in continued that hard work and really turned this team into a footballing team with really solid principles if he does get sacked he's laid some really solid foundations for whoever comes in but it wouldn't be fair for Mowbray to not have the chance to be able to see that through he's a talented manager a talented coach and he gets the best out of young players I don't think Diallo would have had the season he had without Mowbray in charge similarly with Jack Clark he just sees quality in, in, in individuals you look at the impact he had on Ben Barrett and Diaz for example Lewis Travis all the players that have come through at Blackburn under him that's because of him that's because of his ability to coach and get the, you know, his man management skills as well getting the best out of the individuals so yeah I, I do think it would be I do think it would be harsh I also think you know, it wouldn't be widely recommended to change a manager who has galvanised a City and a football club it doesn't happen very often at Sunderland. so to, to replace the person who's done it yeah, could could be in it. Could be a mistake, especially with a coach who is coming from abroad who needs to settle into a league. It's going to be harder for them to get fans on board if they're not getting results. Mowbray's got, you know, credit in the bank now to to maybe have a bit of a wobble early in the season and then go again. I I just think it would be it would be wrong. There's a lot of positives there from Mowbray's side. It doesn't make sense to 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 remove him and replace him with someone who's who's a complete unknown.
0: Well, first of all, you've got to respect the job Mowbray has done. It's easily in the top four jobs a manager has done this season, taking a newly promoted club to the playoffs for the first time since 2015, playing arguably the best football in the league, doing it with the youngest squad and, without a doubt, the worst injury crisis in the division. It's amazing how he got Sunderland to this point. And it goes without saying that it's incredibly harsh to sack him, if indeed he is sacked. To an extent, I can understand it, though. When I think of Tony Murray, I think of a manager who can get you to the dance. If you want someone who can take you from newly promoted side to the playoffs, he can do that. Would he be able to actually get you to the Premier League? I would have doubts about that in the long term. I mean, you've got to admire the ambition of the owners. They clearly think they can do better than a manager who has done one of the top three or four jobs in the in the the championship this season having said that they've got to get the appointment right otherwise they're going to look very very silly aren't they and it's a great way to get the Sunderland fans to suddenly turn against you very quickly let's ignore the manager situation temporarily Justin from a squad perspective how do you think they'll be looking for next season Sunderland
1: well, I mean, they're going to be stronger because the amount of players they've had injured. Um, they're going to have Ross Stewart back if he doesn't get sold in the summer. Um, they're going to have the likes of Danny Bart, Daniel Ballard back fit. They do need to strengthen. I mean, going into next season, if they're going to compete for the top six again, it's going to be even more competitive in the next year because of the teams that are coming down and the and the players that they have at their disposal. It's going to be harder to get into that top six, but suddenly they've shown that they can, they can do it. So so why not go again? But I think, yeah, in terms of their squad, they obviously need to recruit a little bit more experience from, from my perspective. I think them having a young team has worked well for them, but it's also worked against them. There have been moments where they needed to manage games better. And I think having an experienced head does help that. But also they've got to replace those low players. Diallo's had such a big impact on that team. Getting someone of his quality in again is, is going to be important in that in that final third. They've shown that they re- they can recruit good young players, but they're still very raw. So, it, you know, depending on whether they get on that route again or, or, or recruit some more established players, remains to be seen. But I think they're, 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 they're very well set with the squad that they've got and the recruitment has been very effective over the last 12 months to, to go again. They just need depth. Bringing in two forwards at the very least to support Ross Stewart and make sure they don't have the issue that they've had in the second half of the season is is absolutely essential though. Yeah, look, Sunderland got to the playoffs with an injury
0: crisis that's been ongoing all season. You talk about other clubs, they have injury crises, but Sunderland have, without a doubt, had it the worst this season. It's just been ongoing since August, really, hasn't it? Their best striker has barely featured. The end of the campaign, playing just one defender, surely things cannot be bad as, be as bad as they have been again next season. So that's a good start. It's a very young squad. At Sunderland, and in my mind, those players are only going to get better. It's another year's experience under their belt. They're obviously not going to get Amad Diallo back. People look at that, and many people will probably write off Sunderland's chances of doing well next season, but they are capable of getting other lone players in. I think people seem to forget that. Uh, Is Ross Stewart going to stay? Not too sure at the moment. But without a doubt, they'll have to bring players in. Sunderland's recruitment over the past 12 months has been pretty damn good actually so I'd be fairly confident that they can bring in some quality reinforcements whether that's permanently or on loan I'm quite happy in a way that Sunderland didn't get promoted because I think they could have got torn apart in the Premier League promotion would have been well ahead of schedule and that's not necessarily a good thing but they need at least another year to build and that's what they're going to get now. So, depending on what happens with the manager situation, I think Sunderland can use the season as a launch pad to better things. Let's talk about Middlesbrough, Justin. What are you thinking about them for next season?
1: I think, before I get started, I think Middlesbrough and Sunderland, it's just come too soon for them. They've had new managers this season. Sunderland have just come up through the Premier League, uh, from League One. Whilst it's, an achievement to get to the playoffs, it's just probably come come a bit too soon for them. Luton have had a solid project and then Nathan Jones and Rob Edwards has taken that very well. And Robbins has been at Coventry for for six years. So that's the big impacts there. But they've got the opportunity to build this summer both sides have, Middlesbrough and Sutherland. And I think Middlesbrough and De Carrick can do that. I think being able to reset almost and really nail down what they want to achieve with the squad that they're, they're going to have is going to be important and just reassess things. Like I said, I think the last few games of the season and the playoffs probably gave Middlesbrough a lot more lessons. They learnt a lot about managing games, big games, than they will have winning them comfortably. It's going to give Carrick a lot of substance to really drill into what he needs next season, player-wise, and to what he wants to, or the route he needs to go down in terms of style of play. Because as I say, you could be the best attacking team, but this is why the best defensive teams tend to prosper in the playoffs because they're effective at the defending and shutting opposition out and they rely on getting it to extra time or nicking a goal like commentary did. But if you're a good attacking team and you know, you're know you not showing up attacking-wise, you're going to struggle, aren't you? So yeah, it's going to give a lot of uh, substance there for character to really work on and get to the bottom of and, and, and become a, a dominant team next season because I think they've got the potential to do it. I really do. I do think they can They can compete to get into the top six once again and maybe the automatics under Carrick, as long as their recruitment's solid in the summer. I don't see why they can't compete for for, for a top four place, shall we say. Surely you're underestimating them just
0: in top six. That, that, that would be the least of their expectations, wouldn't it? I mean, Middlesbrough have been excellent for most of the season. It's been bookended by two very poor bits of form, which have both cost them. If they didn't have that poor start, they could have gone up in the top two. If they didn't have that poor end, then they probably would have done better in the playoffs. But the headline is Michael Carrick's done a brilliant job taking Middlesbrough from 21st to fighting for automatic promotion. That shouldn't be underestimated. They played some brilliant football along the way and genuinely looked like like at one point that they would go up in the top two. Even though it's ended in disappointment, it shouldn't take away from how promising the road is that... Middlesbrough are on under Michael Carrick. As long as Michael Carrick is in charge, Middlesbrough will be challenging for the top two next season. I've got no doubt about that. They could do with being a bit sturdier defensively, but hopefully that doesn't come at the expense of them being as exciting as they have been. Getting some of the lone players back, that would be a good start. I'm not sure whether Cameron Archer or Ryan Giles would come back, but it would be great if they did or you know, Zach Stefan or any of the other lone players, five or six additions to this team, and Borough could very well head into next season as favourites to go up, depending on who comes down, of course. Having Carrick in charge is the key thing, though. He's a brilliant manager, he's energised the whole fan base, and that's always a really good place to start as a manager and to get the fans on side. And it seems like Middlesbrough fans are very much invested in Michael Carrick as a manager. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And honestly, I sat down on Tuesday morning and was like, God, there isn't much news yet. <laughs> Didn't need to worry, what did I? There's, since there has, been, there has been nothing but news. We'll begin with the craziness at Cardiff City, as it should start to be known the average week at Cardiff City. <laughs> Sabri Lamushi has left Cardiff. The Frenchman had a contract with the club until the summer. And it seemed like he was going to take charge of the Bluebirds next season. Um, In, indeed, the, Mehmet Dalman, the Cardiff City chairman, made it clear that he would like Sabu Lamushi at the club next season. Lamushi, the same, wanted to stay at Cardiff. But that's not the case. Now, the following day, the Telegraph reported Cardiff assistant manager and the former defender, Sol Bamba, have been offered the manager's job. Wales Online has since said Cardiff have distanced themselves from those reports. So, who really knows what's happening at this point? Justin Peach, where do we start with this?
1: Where, where do we start? Uh, firstly, with Lamouchi. Um, I, I think it's... Uh... Disaster for Cardiff to allow him to to leave without convincing him to stay. Now I know his results were mixed, but at the end of the day, he did keep Cardiff up, and as well as that, he did get them scoring goals. They were the worst attacking team in the division. He got them scoring goals. He built the team around Sorry Cabba, and that tended, you know, they were thriving under that. He was dealing with injuries as well. Canon Robinson, for example, was was ruled out for the final final you know, quartet of the season, which really, really. They struggled after that. They didn't have a left-back either. Joe Rawls was filling in. So he has had issues to deal with. But ultimately, they stayed up and they looked a lot better under LaMouche than they did under Steve Morrison and Mark Hudson. He deserved the opportunity to build something at Cardiff. If we're talking about continuity and how important continuity, Cardiff need continuity with a manager. They need someone to come in and work with the team throughout the summer going into the following season. I know Steve Morrison had that last season, but he only had a month of the, the, the new season to, to, to really do it. Cardiff have had seven managers since 2017. 2017 since 2017, Robbins is, Mark Robbins has taken commentary from League 2 to the, the the edge of the Premier League. That's while managing a crisis club. Cardiff seemingly aren't allowing that opportunity to, 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 to happen in by backing a manager and sticking with them um, and that's the that's the frustrating thing here there's a lot of potential I think with this football club but the owners seem to not allow it to prosper and I think that's the key thing here I think it's a, a bad decision to allow Lamushi to go and where do they go from here? Probably another cheap option Well I was shocked when I saw that Lamushi was leaving I was,
0: I was sat on my sofa looking at my phone and then it popped up and was just amazed that this has been allowed to happen I mean Cardiff needs stability. I wasn't totally convinced Lamushi would keep Cardiff up next season, but at least he would have given them some stability. Soon to be four managers in the space of 12 months is... It's just insane, isn't it? It sounds like the reason Lamushi is going is because of transfers this summer. It's completely fair for him to leave if he doesn't think he's going to get backed. I don't think he ever was, to be honest. I'm not in a position where I'm... I'm not sure I've ever been so convinced. Well, the position I'm in is I've, I've never been so convinced that a club is going to get relegated in 12 months' time now. The only thing that could change my mind is that it is a brilliant appointment. The trouble is, I have no idea who they're going to get. Is Sol Bamba the answer? Seems like a lovely guy, but I don't think so. Nathan Jones seems like the obvious alternative. I know he's a Cardiff fan, but... I don't see why else he would take the job. Four managers in 12 months, more than £100 million of debt, a transfer embargo which means they can't spend money on players. The club's finished in a lower position than the season before for the past four seasons now. It's a very unattractive job, which is why I think they may very well end up just giving it to Bamber anyway because he's the cheap option. And I don't know who else would take this job because getting a manager who has plenty of managerial experience under their belt, it's going to be very difficult to sway them to take this job. Well, That's
1: it, isn't it? You've got to try and convince a manager, whether they are good, average, or bad, to come in and take the job. When you're in Cardiff's position, you're only attracting the worst possible candidates. You look at Reading, when they brought in Paul Lintz. It's not a disrespect to Paul Lintz, but his last managerial job is in 2014 for Blackpool, in which he took them from the top four to the edge of the, the edge of relegation. And that's the that, that's the pool reading we're, we're we're fishing in. Cardiff are going to be fishing in a similar pool, whereby they're attracting the, the the poorer set of managers, or they've got to take a risk on someone. Either or, it doesn't make for good reading. I think Lamushi was a good fit. I think he was. Yeah, you know, he's a good tactical manager, and he and he knows how to get the best out of individuals, as he's done so far at Cardiff and Forest. I don't think they can get much better than him. So why why allow him to slip through your fingers? It's uh, it's just daft. It's just daft, and that daftness, unfortunately, is, is making Cardiff heavy favourites for for the drop because they're trending downwards, and it's very hard to stop that trend.
0: Keep in mind as well the squad. In my mind, not very good. It's. It's one that definitely needs reinforcements this summer, but the money just doesn't seem to be there, especially with the transfer embargo, which isn't a good start. So yeah, add in that, lack of a manager, who that manager is going to be, who knows, it's not looking good. For Cardiff City, <laughs> Mr. got Plenty of uh, time before the next season starts as well. Sticking with Cardiff, their chairman Mehmet Darman has confirmed the club is suing Nantes for almost 100 million pounds over the death of Emiliano Salah. Speaking to TalkSport, Darman said, We brought a young man in the prime of his career in good faith. Somebody, without our knowledge, put him in an unfit airplane and flew him in a dangerous time of the day or night in this case. Why is it that Cardiff then has to write the cheque out for as much as that? Cardiff is not a wealthy club. It can't afford this. So I don't see why people are saying we're just after money. We just want to get some justice. We're not going to comment on this, Justin. I just want this whole saga to end because it's been going on for years. No one is looking good coming out from it. Wigan's remaining playing and non-playing staff have now been paid. It's after some went more than a week without receiving their wages. Their owners insist they're fully committed to the club. Will they get a points deduction for the delay? Will it be the last time they fail to pay their wages on time? Who knows at this point? I'm sure all those questions will be answered in the next few months. Mark Robbins has signed a new deal to stay at Coventry City. Is a Agreed a new four year deal, which it goes without saying is very well deserved. I think we've already spent about a quarter of this show praising Mark Robbins and the job he's done at Coventry City, so we will swiftly move on, Justin. But I mean, that's just great news for Carvin Tip just mm-hmm. before the playoff semi finals. That <laughs> boost as well. It is a really good time. Going to yeah, it's very good timing and just gives everyone at the club a huge boost in in themselves. The Telegraph is reporting Rasmus Ankersen is expected to lead Southampton's search for a new manager. The club CEO has been blamed by many supporters for the club's relegation, but it seems as if he'll be sticking around to pick a new head coach. Which brings me very nicely onto this. Russell Martin is set to meet with the Swansea hierarchy this week to discuss his future at the club. Wales Online claims he'll sit down with new chairman Andy Coleman for talks over his contract situation with Martin approaching the final year of his current deal. He's been linked with both the Southampton and Leicester jobs. Justin, if a Southampton or Leicester came knocking at your door when you're in the shoes of Russell Martin, would you stay at Swansea or move elsewhere?
1: I'd move elsewhere. This isn't a disrespect to Swansea. I think they're a good club. But they're not ambitious enough. They've they've shown that under Russell Martin so far. I expected him to leave in January. Um, I'm surprised he lasted this season because he was apoplectic without showing it. He was seething without really, really showing it, like really expressing his anger. It felt like he was going to rip down walls in his post-match interviews. He was that frustrated with Swansea's transfer business over, over the, the winter window and it was the same he questioned it over the summer as well so if a team like Southampton for example who want to invest in a young manager who have a good a good foundation of a, of a, a good squad they're going to get decent money from selling the likes of Carl Walker-Peters and Jane Ward-Prowse that money's going to be reinvested into the team and after seeing Burnley achieve what they did under Vincent Company, why wouldn't you go it's, it would just be crazy if he didn't. And I know loyalty is a big thing, but I don't think Swansea have shown enough loyalty to Russell Martin. So why should he show it back? And he's going into the last year of his contract. If they really wanted to keep him and were committed to keeping him, they'd have got his contract tied up again in January when ambitions seem to completely fall by the door.
0: Yeah, Justin, I'm not going to disagree with you. If I was a Swansea fan, I'd be very worried. I really rate Russell Martin as a manager, and so it's no surprise for me to see clubs higher up the pecking order, showing an interest. He's just coming off the back of a fairly unremarkable season at Swansea, but that wasn't really his fault. The club didn't back him. Now, there's a new board in place, but are things going to change so much that they'll be fighting for promotion next season? I... Seriously doubt it. If I was Russell Martin and a Southampton or Leicester gave me a call, I'd be getting the suitcase out straight away. If Leicester get relegated, both of those two will be fighting for promotion next season. They'll both have money to spend from selling players this summer because Lord knows they've got a lot of players who should be playing in the Premier League. So we'll be attracting plenty of interest from Premier League sides. I would simply struggle to see what the argument would be for staying at Swansea. I assume he wants to be a Premier League manager. He would much more likely be getting that chance at a Southampton or Leicester than he would be at a Swansea. So, I think it's going to be a nervous few weeks for Swans fans and whether their manager is going to stay or not. An American consortium of Silicon Valley-based private investors has held discussions about a takeover of Sheffield United following their promotion to the Premier League. It comes after the fell takeover by Nigerian businessman Dozi Mabusi. Another American takeover, Justin. We were just talking about that the other day, weren't we? And now it looks like there may be another one at Sheffield United. But they need a takeover, don't they?
1: They need a takeover we, we've said in the past that it's important even just to get transfers sorted and make sure bills are still being paid throughout the summer um so yeah takeover is absolutely essential i get a bit nervous when it's consortiums of private investors but at the end of the day the, as long as there's checks being signed you can't really complain but yeah us investment's a strange one i think you know it'd be worth looking a little bit deeper into it and Providing some sort of expose on it. I don't know if I've got the yeah, capabilities. in that's not happening. <laughs> we've got better things to be talking about. Uh, but
0: it is it is interesting that there seems to be so much interest from America. And I've said it before, but, you know, Gary Neville was bringing up before about how he was worried about how they could maybe start teaming together and forcing through decisions. Because at the end of the day, it's Premier League clubs, and EFL clubs who make the decisions. If you've got a group of American owners, they may very well Join together to start pushing through decisions which may not very well be of interest to the average fan. Um So, one to keep an eye on. But I think we'll be talking about that for a few years down the line before anything starts to happen seriously. But I, I don't know how many of the Premier League and Championship clubs are owned by American businessmen at this point. But I imagine it must be a fairly big percentage, mustn't it? Let's move on to transfer news, Justin. Ashley Barnes has joined Norwich on a free transfer. The 33-year-old has signed a two-year deal after leaving Burnley following the expiration of his contract. A stat from Connor Southwell of the Eastern Daily Press, Ashley Barnes is Norwich's oldest permanent signing since Dejan Stefanovic in 2008. Justin, your thoughts on this move?
1: That's an incredible stat. (laughs) That's incredible. Um, I think it's a good move. I don't think he's going to be prolific, but he's going to give... Norwich, that uncomfortable edge for opposition that they've not had for a, for a while, is going to make things ugly. Um, I think it's a commitment to David Ragnar as well, which concerns me a little bit. I don't think... I mean, if you go back to his Huddersfield team, I think Elias Kachunga was top scorer when they were promoted with 11 goals, I think off the top of my head. So it doesn't scream that they're going to be that free-flowing Farker side that we've seen in the past. Nonetheless, as long as it's a winning team, I don't think anybody's going to care but yeah, it's a good signing. It's a free transfer. He's aggressive, his experience. And he's going to give something Norwich that they don't have, which is aggression. They're a soft, they're, they they're softer looked a soft side last season and it showed towards the end of the campaign.
0: I will disagree with Justin. I'm not really sure what the point in this move is because with Timo Puki's departure, and are missing a goal scorer. Is Ashley Barnes really the answer to that? Well, he scored 16 goals in his last four seasons. So... I'd assume not. I just don't really see what he's bringing to Norwich. I think he's a good forward at Championship level, but he's not what they need. Yes, he's a real leader, but at 33, his best days are behind him. He works hard, but so does Josh Sargent. Does he bring them aggression? I guess, but (laughs) you could probably get someone else to do that. I think for Ashley Barnes, I'd have probably expected him to move to someone kind of like lower mid-table kind of level, maybe? Maybe even lower than that. So I don't don't really get this move. I don't get what Norwich are getting out of it. And I think from Ashley Barnes' perspective, I think this is the kind of move where he had to take it because I think it was a lot better than maybe he was expecting.
1: Well, Norwich are lower mid-table, so that answers that.
0: Well, you know what I mean. The expectation (laughs) is lower mid-table as opposed to Norwich who shouldn't really be lower mid-table, but I see your point. Bradley Dack will leave Blackburn this summer after six years at the club. His contract is expiring this summer. Probably the right decision, Justin. He's had a pretty poor season, really, but what a player he has been for them
1: over the years. Yeah, he's been fantastic. And again, under Tony Mowbray, I mentioned Tony Mowbray's ability to get the best out of individuals. Bradley Dack's goal-scoring record before his ACL injury, for his first ACL injury, was incredible. He was racking them up he was hitting double figures comfortably for a for a player who wasn't quite a number 10 but he wasn't quite a number nine he was sort of in between a bit of a second striker able to find space and really execute well well well-timed runs and shots really really good player and i think just restarting his career is probably a good thing um as i say i don't think he's been his best since he recovered from his second acl injury but there's still a good player in there he showed it on occasion this season um i think any team in a championship pushing for the playoffs would be suited for a player like Bradley Dack. Um really? A low budget team, you know, if you've got a higher budget you're certainly going to concentrate on bringing player in bringing a player in with a you know a much better record over the last two years, but I think you know a Sunderland under Tony Mowbray for example, someone like Bradley Dack I think would 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 be a good fit. It's just a Tony really? Mowbray marriage, the Tony Mowbray marriage I think is this thing that I'm looking at here. Um yeah, there'll be a lot of takers for Brady Deck. He's got a, a very good pedigree at this level. And I think um, it might be something that Blackburn regret. But as I say, I think it needed to kickstart his career. No, I, I
0: completely disagree with what, wow. a lot of what wow. you've just said there. Just, and I think 29 years old, it surprised me that he's still only 29. But I think his best years are behind him, unfortunately. I think injuries have just caught up with him because, I mean, was it two ACL injuries? He's had maybe mm-hmm. even another one. He's had it really bad with injuries over the years and he doesn't look the same player that he once was. But I mean, without a doubt, you've got to give him full full credit for his time at Blackburn. Over the past six years, he's been, without a doubt, one of the best players at the kind of League One Championship level. He's just been fantastic for a long time now. scored so many goals for Blackburn and is a real legend there. Blackburn have shown him so much loyalty Over the time that he was injured and gave him plenty of time to recover. And that goes a long way with players because it doesn't often happen. Um, But I think it's the right move for everyone concerned because I don't really see him adding much to a Blackburn side now who are looking to get into a top six place and I think really he's should be looking again similar to Ashley Barnes lower down the division quite a bit lower down the division really because I just don't think he offers too much now at that level meanwhile Blackburn striker Danny Butterworth has also confirmed he's leaving Ewood Park Reading have revealed their retained list Liam Moore Scott Dan Shane Long Luke Southwood all departing some big names there and of course Lucas Shaw one of your favourites Justin available on a free transfer
1: there, there should be a lot of teams getting on the phone to his agent. Um, he's he's scored goals throughout his time at Reading. His record's actually quite good considering the injuries he's had, um, and he's always had an impact. The manager he's had, he's always he's always been a key player for the managers at Reading. Um, so yeah, it's 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 not surprising he's left Reading. But there's a player there who I think for Sunderland, for example, they need a, a player to support Ross Stewart. There's a player there who scores goals. He's got liquid touch as well. A fantastic first touch. Um uh, Q, Q, There should be a Q forming right now for his signature. And again, teams that are pushing for the top six should be getting on the phone to him because he's, he can play second fiddle. He can be a rotation option or he can be your first choice. There's a good player there who's got a good record at this level. Get on the phone to him. That's a Justin recommendation, Justin Peach recommendation right there. It's a Justin Peach recommendation. That's not surprising whatsoever.
0: <laughs> I... I think he's someone who can add competition to a playoff chasing side. I wouldn't want him starting games, I don't think. I mean, in 10 seasons at the championship level, he's only had one where he scored more than 10 goals, which doesn't inspire confidence. He's had plenty of chances at this level. And apart from that one season at Reading where they were fighting for the top six, I mean, he was amazing in that season. But apart from that, there hasn't been... Too many chances around that. He has had a lot of injuries, to be fair to him. But, yeah, I, I think he'd be a good addition to a squad for a top six chasing side. If you want him starting games, maybe mid-table. I don't think you're going too much further down. Um, but, yeah, well, it'd be interesting to see where he does rock up. Maybe won't be in England. Maybe he'll go abroad or somewhere like that I don't know elsewhere Rotherham defenders Wes Harding and Richard Wood will be leaving on a free this summer Wood has spent nine years at the New York Stadium Wes Harding someone I imagine will have a few offers from championship clubs I reckon Blackpool are letting go of 12 players this summer includes Liam Bridcut Luke Garbutt Gary Medine, Chris Maxwell Kevin Stewart Keshi Anderson Curtis Nelson Jordan Thornley plenty of uh, players there who have had plenty of championship Mm. experience under their belts not sure how many of them we'll be seeing next season though Justin
1: I, there are there a couple that I'd take a chance on. You have Kevin Stewart, for example. Last season, he was one of the, he was the best ball-winning midfielder up until sort of midway through, and then he picked up an injury. So there's clearly a player there. Keshe Anderson is such a spark. He's been unlucky in, in this season with injuries. So again, there's there's plenty of potential there for for a championship club to come in. But you're right. Quite a few of those players are probably going to drop down the league.
0: I'm not sure. There's been a player who's been so. Unremarkable yet has been mentioned more times out of your mouth, Justin, than Keshi Anderson. <laughs> he's been
1: have some respect. He's he's, all, he's an all right player, but you bring him up so much. He's <laughs> he's a, he's a I, I admire him. I think he's got so much quality and ability that injuries have just held him back. So if he can stay fit, he really can be a good player at championship level. He's just not had the opportunity to have a prolonged amount of games to do it. I fully back him. I fully back him.
0: I mean, what are you basing that on? He's, last season, he got eight goal contributions. All right, but not amazing. And then this season, he's been, as you say, blighted with injuries. So considering he has been blighted with injuries, I'm not sure a Championship Club would be wise to take a chance on him. But there you go. It's been a good couple of seasons now that Keshi Anderson has been constantly mentioned. There's a chance
1: if I was a sporting director, I would bankrupt a football club, isn't there? <laughs> I'm not going to dispute that.
0: <laughs> um, Preston, a releasing defender, Matt Olasundi. He was a good player for Rotherham a couple of years ago. Went to Preston. He's only played three games in two years. Not really sure what's happened there. It's very strange. Hull defender Alfie Jones has signed a new three-year deal. The 25 old has been a regular for the Tigers this season. And Mick McCarthy's long-term assistant, Terry Connor, has landed himself a manager's job. He's the new head coach of Grenada in the Caribbean. Not a... Bad gig, that is it. Chill out in the sun. Every so often pick a team to travel to some other Caribbean islands to play some football. It sounds all right. Where do I sign up? Right, now it's time for this. Diddy? Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He. It's the game where... We've played it all season, where usually we have 10 players with various connections to the Championship and a club. All he, all Justin usually has to do is guess whether they played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. Um, but we're going to give it a little twist this week. Justin, since there's all this talk about who's getting to the Premier League out of Coventry and Luton, I thought I'd ask you, who's played in the Premier League? So I'm going to name for you 10 Championship legends. I want you to tell me whether they've played in the Premier League or not. They must have played in a league game. How are you feeling about that?
1: Quite confident. It's worth pointing out that at the end of the show that I'm I'm suffering badly with tonsillitis, which is why my voice has been horrendous. Um, so I'm not feeling as confident as I probably would have been if it's I was getting fully your excuses it. in early, aren't you? There's not an excuse; it's a fact. I sound like an excuse. Today. Um, I mean, this just doesn't mean anything. It's just a one-off. So, um, well, quickly before we start, what would you say is a good score here? 7 I think 7 is a good score there might be 1 or 2 where you go they're incredible at championship level they're surely playing in the Premier League and they probably didn't interesting
0: very interesting we'll start off with the record appearance holder at championship level Lee Camp did he or didn't he play in the Premier League
1: they had a loan spell at a club in the Premier League I can't remember if it was Norwich I might be getting mixed up with Lee Grant I'm going to say he didn't
0: 3 appearances for Norwich in 2012-13 I think it was permanent, though. No. Oh. Wow. Zero out of one. A fantastic start. Next up, Danny Bat. Did he or didn't he? Yeah, he surely played in the Premier League. The Wolves. He was at Wolves when they are in the Premier League for multiple seasons, but didn't play a game. Are you being serious?
1: <laughs> are you being serious?
0: I'm being confident. very serious. Zero out of two. Bartosz Bielskowski. Did he or didn't he?
1: <laughs> I don't think he did he, he, he was on he was on Southampton's books he did he did he did he did he was on Southampton's books and I think it was during their Premier League year when he was sort of a wee baby so you're going to be the, he did yes I am
0: yeah. he didn't um, <laughs> I don't think he was at Southampton when they were in the Premier League off the top of my head I haven't written that down but he definitely hasn't played in the Premier League zero out of three <laughs> incredible Albert oh. Adoma,
1: did he or didn't he? I think he was sold by Middlesbrough just before they went into the Premier League, and I think mm. he was released by Aston Villa when they were in the Premier League. Two appearances so I, for Middlesbrough in 2016. <laughs> I didn't say yes
0: or no. Well, you took a long pause. I was taking that as your answer, but I think you were going to say uh, he did. I was going to say but no. Yeah. You were wrong. Zero out of four. It's already impossible for you to get seven. <laughs> Incredible. Next up, Tom Lawrence. Did he or didn't he? I
1: was going to swear then. I don't know. Yes, he did. Yes, he played for United in the Premier League, surely. One, one appearance. Sole appearance. One appearance for Man United in 2014. You're correct. Was that, was that Ryan Giggs's caretaker game when he played all the kids?
0: Interestingly... Ryan Giggs was player manager at the time and Ryan Giggs came off for Tom Lawrence. There you go. Played 20 minutes for them, I believe. Um, Then he went to Leicester, I think. Um, Where were we? One out of five. Matt Mills, did he or didn't he? This
1: is harder than the actual did he or didn't he? Um, Mm. I'm
0: going to say no. I don't think he did. Two appearances for Man City City. in the mid-2000s. Man City.
1: I regret like that the said it.
0: One out of six. Delhi Adibola, did he or didn't he? Mm. When
1: was he at Coventry? Mm. I mean, he's mm. been around for a long time, hasn't he? Yes. I'm going to say yes. I, there's, I he was at Palace as well, wasn't he? But when were they in the Premier League? I'm going to say yes. He didn't, made it up.
0: You call yourself a championship expert, but, I mean, you do so badly at these games.
1: I'm not a Premier League expert, am I? Come on.
0: Okay, fair enough. Um, Chris Martin, did he or didn't he? One out of seven, by the way.
1: I think he did for Norwich, yes.
0: Five appearances for Norwich in the early in. 2010s, you're right. Get in. Championship expert. That's good. Well, Chris Martin expert <laughs> <laughs> is the more suitable title for you there. Ross McCormack, did he or didn't he?
1: That's an interesting one. It wasn't for Cardiff. Definitely not for Leeds. Definitely not for Fulham. Surely not for Villa. No, he did not pay in the Premier League.
0: You'd be correct. Never played in the Premier League, which is pretty scandalous, really, that a player that good never played in the Premier League. I think That's people bad. underestimate how good Ross McCormack was. He was unbelievable. Um, why are you pulling that face?
1: I don't know. I'm just sceptic. A man who can't jump over his garden gate to get, over to, to, get to training, I think.
0: That, that was... that. Why, why have you got to bring that up? Why have you got <laughs> to bring that up? Remember, do you not remember the player who was scoring goals for fun at Cardiff, Leeds, Fulham... And was a brilliant, you know, just a technical player in general.
1: Technical, yes. But I think fitness played a big issue in not allowing him to get to the Premier League, which probably caused a big issue in him not being able to get over his goal. I and mean, it did at Villa. But either. before
0: that, he was also quite quick. But whatever. You rate Keshi Anderson, but you don't rate Ross Absolutely Fair enough. Um, three out of nine. Final one. Leon Clark. Did he or didn't he?
1: It would be absolutely scandalous Disgraceful in fact if he did not play in the Premier League for Sheffield United after carrying them under Chris Wilder. So yes, Leon Clark, if he's not made a Premier League appearance, we should all call it quits now. A man with a career like his should be gifted a Premier League appearance even now. Someone just sign him, give him one minute, release him. So yes.
0: Rate rate Leon Clark, but you don't rate Ross McCormack. Two appearances for Sheffield United in 2019. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So you finished off with four out of ten, which is all right considering how badly you started. But, I mean, in the general aspect of things, kind of had a Swansea season, really, haven't you? Where
1: The expectations were high, terrible in the middle, but you ended well. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. Let's see been poorly i'm not match fit. it's good it's fine sounds like you're making excuses
0: again justin <laughs> there you go ladies and gentlemen that's been diddy or dinty this has been the second tier podcast this has been our review of the second legs of the playoff semi-finals and now this is it got one game remaining and it's the big one the playoff final. so what you've got looking what you've got coming up ladies and gentlemen to look forward to are two preview episodes one will be with the fans of both clubs in the playoff final and then the other one will be an expert panel looking ahead to that final on Saturday isn't it next Saturday yeah. um, so we look forward to seeing you then and bringing you that fantastic content that you've got to look, to look forward to over the next week so this has been the second tier podcast I've been Ryan Dilks I've been Justin Peach and a big thank you for listening